What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the In Between Sets podcast with me, Sam Brown. Uh, yeah, excuse the hiatus there for a little while. It's it's amazing that when you open a gym, every single waking moment of your free time is spent there. So, yeah, that's been a little bit of a shock to the system over the last couple of months. But I wanted to give the gym plenty of time to continue to grow, continue to build on it, and to get better and better as not only a coach but also a business owner. So. A lot of things kind of happened all at once for me there, but now we are in a position where I'm able to start putting these out a little bit more regularly. I've, you know, calmed down the travel schedule a little bit, but other than that, I'm just excited to be back. And uh, we have Joe Ken on the episode again today. This one's very, very special. And I figured considering that this kind of marks the uh, about a year or so uh, of me doing these episodes this was a special time to do an in-person one. So I was in North Carolina anyway, and I wanted to take a drive over to Joe Ken's house, Joe Ken's gym, and have a conversation with him. And he was gracious enough to invite me in. And we talked, man, we talked for a long time. This is one of the longer podcasts that I've recorded, but we had talked three hours prior to even recording this. So that's what happens, man. And, and, and we kind of talk about that in the episode. We talk about building those connections and just showing up and, and you know making the drive when it's possible and uh, learning as much as you can from other people. So again, if you do are not aware, Joe Ken uh, has been in the NFL as a high-end strength coach for uh, the Carolina Panthers. He has worked most recently with uh, Brian Shaw to prep him for his last official strongman appearance. And uh, we go over all things coaching, all things training. And this is honestly one of my favorite episodes that I've been able to record because, again, doing these in person is such a different vibe. It is so much easier to keep rolling with conversation. It's so much easier and just more beneficial for, I'm just going to say it, for me. (laughs) I really enjoy these in-person ones. And this is something that I want to be able to get to do more and more. Um, So, yeah, thank you very much for checking this episode out. I will kind of cut this off a little bit earlier so you can get right into it. Because again, this is a longer one. Feel free to split it up into multiple doses and uh, let me know what you think. As always, this episode is brought to you by Practice Movement and Recovery, Practice Movement and Recovery Gym, uh, located in Cranston, Rhode Island. If you want to get some training in person, let me know. But I also do remote coaching, all of those things as well. So Would love to work with you if uh, you are looking for direction, looking for someone to bounce ideas off of and someone to help you coach you through whatever event you got going up. The other is First Attachment Nutrition. Justin Harris and the team over there are still uh, putting out some of the best products in the market in terms of performance, in terms of just quality. And honestly, their stuff tastes pretty damn good too. So (laughs) take a look at First Attachment Nutrition. Those guys do an amazing job and they help support the podcast as well. So with that being said, let's get right into episode number 27. So this marks over a year of doing these episodes, obviously with a little hiatus here and there uh, because of life. But I appreciate you guys for sticking in there with me. Appreciate you guys for checking out this episode and I will see you in the next one. Let's get right into episode number 27 with Joe Ken. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. 
You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. All right, and we're live. Coach Joe Ken. The man, on, man, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, we've already had a three-hour podcast. No, we started. <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the best parts about this is the fact that, like, this is going to be my first in-person one that I've done since starting the podcast. Everything's just been fucking Zoom-related or all. It's just online, and and I had to, I had to come out and given the opportunity being in this area. I had to connect with you and, and just be like, yo, we gotta we gotta have a conversation in person, bring it back a little old school. Yeah, and again, you know, it's funny because as you saw, that's what generally happens when you're face to face. You have a conversation before the conversation and it just again, it just the face to face opportunities continue to build a relationship. It mm-hmm. changes like we talk about acquaintances to colleagues, the friends to whatever that builds into and be let to be honest you know we knew each other but our first real interaction was a short time what mm-hmm. two years ago at the arnold when i came out and yeah you were working with juji mufu and there was a lot of people coming through because it was arnold week and then we did the first podcast a while back and you're like hey man they want us to do another one mm-hmm. and we, I was on the road, and then you're like, hey, coach, I'm in North Carolina. I said, I'm in Pinehurst because my buddy just moved down like 100 miles away. Come to the Mecca. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's so what we're it, live from the home gym. That's <laughs> it. And, and it's so funny because having spent time at Elite and, and making videos and like the, the spaces that I was in making videos, it's so cool to be. I've seen so many videos that you've done in here. Yeah, now you realize and it's I'm not like, as big as you thought. <laughs> but it, but it, it's just, it's very surreal. Right, because like you've been in the game for an amazingly awesome amount of time, and I've been learning from you for years. And to just be here, it's just like, of course, I was going to drive a hundred miles. Are you kidding me? Like that's, that's fucking nothing. In this day and age, especially for my role now and visiting coaches, you know, two hour, two hour one way trips is nothing. Like, nothing, absolutely you know, not. You, oh, it's one hundred and ten miles. I do that in my sleep. Man. Well, it was funny when my buddy was like, "Hey, I'm I'm going to need you to." to house it and he was like oh, i'll be in north carolina i go north carolina i know i know i know where i can go <laughs> and, and, and again you're you're in a you're in, you're like i don't call fayetteville or that pinehurst off the grid but like really i mean if you wanted you could go here and literally drive one hour and be at juji's exactly going up i and it almost be like you'd have to go you go up towards greensboro a little bit but then you're going a different direction to concord but you're you're, I think my house to Juji's is an hour drive at like 55 miles or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, it, and again, it, it's it's all about the opportunity to be able to have these conversations. And I think that's something that I want to talk to you about is is you've been in the game for a while and you see the transition of, of coaching to how it was when you first started to how it is now and kind of the direction of things, how it's going. And and I think for, for me... Like the in-person is always the way to do it. It's like, just show up and it's like, show up and be like, how can I help? Or what can I do? Or, you know, and I think that's a, a mentality that it, I think a lot with newer coaches, they have a tendency to, to see a lot of things online and think they know how the show is run. But it, it, I would love to hear your experience with that. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is 
and we talked a little bit about it, right? Like, you can read all the books, you can be over-educated, which mm-hmm. people are tend to go into that, I think we're leaning now in this era of d- degrees over practitioner in some respects, but the number one key ingredient, and we hear individuals talk about this regardless of the classification of coaching, and I think that you know, if anybody's pushed it the most, it'd be Brett Bartholomew with his art of coaching organization. But it's communication, like, that's the key. The key is, can you communicate what the athlete needs in an effective manner that they understand? And the only way you're gonna do that is in person, face-to-face understanding of how to talk to people. Uh, talking to people over Zoom, to me, there's a little different confidence level because you're not in the same room. Mm-hmm. You're a little bit more relaxed because you're in your domain. So it's not like you're getting exposed. There's always a little bit of comfort level. And man, before that, you know, you talk to people on the phone. That's even less divisive because people can't see you mm-hmm. and see how you're if you got a nervous twitch or you're right, all right like, oh man i'm in front of this group of 12 coaches what do i do or i'm in front of my team but the only way you can learn to communicate is communicate itself and the only way you can learn to either grow with it and make it a positive of your your coaching entourage so to speak or your coaching acumen is to be in front of groups of people live get out of your comfort zone and again for for me to sit here and talk to you i'm in my gym sure you know what i'm sure. saying just like if you're in your gym you're whether you're the host or not mm-hmm. you're going to feel a lot more at ease sure than being in someone else's gym like man i'm in so-and-so's gym i've seen like i said seen it on instagram whether mm-hmm. it's a mom and pop home gym or a, 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 a 4,000 square foot home gym like Brian Shaw or Juji Mufu. Right. Uh, home gyms are home gyms. They're here to stay now. People don't want to go through uh, certain aspects of being in clubs. Although I am going to join uh, a gym here shortly because the home gym was supposed to be a secondary asset to me when I trained. It was supposed to be enthusiastic and fun to train. Mm-hmm. Now that it's become my main gym, it's getting a little stale. Sure. So I'm going to join a, a local gym. Jack King's gym has been around forever. Jack was an old bodybuilder in the 50s, 60s. He has since passed, but his gym is legendary in Winston-Salem. But he's got some cool shit in there. First generation. I just went by yesterday to see what it was going to cost. And I mean, it just shows you. I mean, a year membership's 275 bucks. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, I went to another gym where the day pass was five bucks. I was like, well, I'm going to join Jack's because <laughs> that's my spot. But I can go up to this dude for five bucks a workout? Yeah. I'll do that. So those guys are old school. And his, and his gym was two ninety nine a year, less than a dollar a day. That's like no-brainer stuff. I could, bo- I could join both those gyms and still make out better than I was making when I was at the fitness factory for 140 a month, So, which is what worth that in this day and age. So, yeah, I think that when you're in live, and plus I get to interact with some people and not mm-hmm. train by myself, even though I'll still train by myself, but there'll be other people in the gym. But the key is you got to, people just got to learn how to speak to, in front of people. You got to build, and it's hard, man. I remember the first time I spoke in front of a group when I got started presenting. Man, I was awful, like awful. Like I was like, I can't do this again, man. I, I represent so many things that I want to be and I want to become. Not only do I represent myself and my wife at the time, 
and my son, my, my oldest, was born. And I represented the university I worked for, the oh, coaches for sure. I worked for, the athletes I worked for. Man, I can't go out like this. Like, so it, it takes practice and it takes confidence and it takes you know building yourself up to feel the the exuberance and excitement and the nervousness of getting in front of people. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I'm more confident and probably comfortable speaking in front of my peers. I still have that little anxiety when I speak in front of athletes because I want to earn their respect. Absolutely. And the only way you're going to earn someone's respect is by showing them you care and you're willing to listen and you're not going to build a program that makes you look better. It's a program that's going to help them protect themselves and to hopefully improve the performance attributes they need on the field in some shape or way or form. And, and I can see why people would, you know, be a little hesitant to show up and, and speak to people in, you know, in a group format because a lot of the communication in the coaching community occurs online via text, via very short form videos where you can really modify and change a message and edit it and show very particular small tidbits, you know? Well, just like we were talking about, it's like, you know, again, I don't partake, I don't partake on Twitter. Much Not anymore. a big Twitter guy. Yeah. I mean, for one, most of you who know me know that I'm a talker and 140 characters. I'm not going to be able to express what I want to express, nor do I really want to get into that banter and put my name, uh, reputation, allegedly a well-respected strength mm-hmm. coach, but more, but more importantly, I don't want to get caught in a situation where I make dynamic fitness and strength look bad right. by me saying something that was taken out of context. Because, mm-hmm. as you know, I do go on Twitter and read stuff, and a lot of things I watch other people who are highly opinionated, but they're looking to stir the pot, and I can't do that. And nor do I want to. I mean, it's not. I'm at a point in my career where I, that's just a waste of my time. Yeah, and, and there's got to be a point too where even. I've always been under the belief that if someone spends all their time talking about something, that means they're not actually doing it. One of my biggest things was I was, I remember a couple of years ago, I was on, on Instagram and I was watching these two coaches who at the time I had nothing but respect for arguing just back and forth. And I looked at my watch, it was like four o'clock on a Wednesday. I'm like, you you don't have anybody to coach right now. Like what's going on? Well, and again, I, I don't, you don't want to – it's like anything else, man. We were just talking about – but one thing about strength coaches, oh, boy, we ain't afraid to rip dudes apart. Right? Mm-hmm. And we want to know why we can't – we have a lot of issues with our respect levels with other coaches and other communities. And it's just the way it is, man. I mean, we are who we are. We're all alphas. We're all better than the rest. Yep. And we all got some way or some shape or form where we're going to dog somebody. I mean, I included I, – I talk about trying to live this, I don't want to say righteous path, but you know, I try to really formulate some things. But at the end of the day, you know, it comes back to that old school, you know, you are who you are and you either can coach or you can't. And that's an opinionated deal. Like how many times do we hear this coach is a good coach or this coach is a bad coach, but yet when you ask, well, how are you making that decision? Have you ever seen him coach? Well, no, but I heard this or I read this or I saw this. Uh, I make my opinions a lot of times based off of the fact that I've studied the coach and more importantly, I, I've done enough in this 
time to know that the best way to learn is not conferences, it's site visits. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of professional development site visits where if I've seen a coach coach and he's good, I can say, I watch this dude coach 100 dudes, four groups, watch how his staff responds to him, watch how yep. he leads his staff or she, and then make a, a viable point. But a lot of times I think we make these we, we get this impression of people without really doing enough understanding. And, and, and I'm sure me included. I mean, uh, I think that that's just the way, I guess that's the way society is anyway, right? Like, like I, I always, like I, I'm a big peel the onion back guy. I mean, and sometimes that gets me in trouble with the opinions I say because I can talk about an individual or somebody in a, con in a context of how I peel back their onion. Mm-hmm. Does it mean I, I don't respect him? I think we talked about that. I, I could care less if you like me or you don't like me. Sure. But if you you cannot say that my work has not been well received in my in my space. Mm -hmm. And that's just like for me, I look at certain things that don't resonate with me, but when I peel back the onion and, and I know why it doesn't resonate with me, doesn't mean it won't resonate with other people. And the respect level that I have for that person being willing to put himself or herself out there to promote what they believe in, I have respect for that. Like, uh, I might not agree with the concept. I might not agree with this person giving this type of opinion based off their their repertoire or what their, what their resume says they've accomplished. But that doesn't mean the generations before, after me, don't need to hear his message or her message. And I think that's where I get myself a lot of times in trouble because I'll relate that to somebody. Somebody will interpret that, that I don't care or respect for this person and then tell that person, well, house thinks you're full of it. No, I don't think you're full of it. I just, right. people ask me about a product. I say, well, I haven't read it and this is why, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's needed or it's just my opinion. Just like there's a lot of people who, you know, could probably think the tier system's dog crap. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because I've always said there's more than one. The only thing that matters is winning. So whatever you're doing to help that team win, doesn't matter what how you're training them. It doesn't matter what exercise you're using. If the team's winning, that's how we're getting evaluated in team sports. So there's a, there's a you know, again, it, but it all comes back to communication. And that's where a lot of times, like you said, uh, you want to air out grievances, get in front of somebody face Absolutely. to face. Yep. And, some, and that's hard. I'm very bad at that. Like, that's one of my bad things. Like, if something, uh, and this is, I don't know if it's uh, genetics, because I've seen sometimes with my family how a certain situations were handled, but, like, I'm like one of those people, like, if it's not going the way it should be going, I'm just cutting you out. Like, you're a disease. You're a virus. I'm not going to try to fix it. I think that for whatever reason, this relationship's over. It's mm -hmm. over, man. Cut you out. It's no yeah. issues. I'm not talking... I'm not going to invest time in talking to somebody or something because to me it's just not worth the work. Right. And I got the same I got the same gene. I got the the uh angry Irish guy thing going sometimes. <laughs> just get a little revved up and you know it's it's hard and and I think I mean we kind of talked about it before but it it really depending on what the coach is, you know, whatever their history is, whatever they're doing, at the end of the day it's it's is it helping their people get better? Right. And I think that that's something that you really have been a key in terms of my own development as a coach is because it's like you're willing to do whatever is necessary to get your athletes better. 
right? And it's what they need. And it's like, and it, and it simplifies things because I think in the world now, you go online, you'll see a million different intricate details about this, that, and the other thing. But I love the fact that it's like, it boils down to winning. Are you winning? Winning clears up a lot of shit. Well, and you're doing things right. Like we were saying, there's certain principles and that are out there now, training principles and methodologies that a lot of people are using. But then you go watch the athletes train and their technique is awful. Right. So really, the principles don't matter because at the end, Can't of, get the to end base of the day, level. the technique is about movement efficiency, which is also the most highly critical thing they can do in their sport. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing something that is supposed to be important in your world and allowing them to have movement deficiencies you're not giving them a great benefit of opportunity to stay protected mm-hmm. and to enhance themselves for the movement efficiencies they need in their specific sport so again it's like you're it's almost like you're robbing peter to pay paul yep. hey i want to do this type of training but then you forget and neglect what's the most important thing we can do is is safety in the in the weight room and if you're going to allow poor technical efficiency to occur because you think this method is the key to you winning, you're absolutely wrong. Yep. The key to you winning is how good your teams are getting recruits. Mm-hmm. And then the better the recruit, the more your movement efficiency is going to be anyway because that's generally how it works. So, again, it's these debates are never going to change everybody's going to have their personal opinions of what's right and what's wrong. But, but the, but the problem, and I, and it might be a good problem. The amount of information out there is so good and Mm -hmm. such, and such a large amount. It's really hard to decipher. Like, and that's why, like I've always said, you know, I know what I know. I know what I need to know. I know what I want to know. But I also know what I don't care to know. And that's, that's a hard, that when you get to that point in your career is when you've come to those wisdom realizations that mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if I don't have players. Right. It doesn't matter because yeah. if I've got 23 stars and you got 25 stars yeah. and we train them the exact same way, uh-huh. I'm not winning. Mm-hmm. If everything goes the way it's planned, I'm not winning. You'd have to turn the ball over a hundred times or if we're, or have 30 unforced errors for me to have an opportunity with my three stars to win. And that's what happened to me. And I saw that 100% to fruition in real life in my seven years at Arizona State when we played USC. Mm-hmm. We trained hard. We trained smart. They trained hard. They trained smart. And we always talk about, you know, talent, hard work will beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. Well, when you got talent that works hard, hard. you're in trouble with a team that has not as much talent that works just as hard. Mm -hmm. And that's what USC was under the Pete Carroll years from 2001 to about 2009. Mm. They just had the best talent on the West Coast. And the way Pete coached them, and the, the way Coach Carlisle worked them in the weight room, th- they were hard to beat. And mm-hmm. that was confirmed by Ryan Khalil, who played on those teams that played that we played at Arizona State, when he gave me kudos as a strength coach, but then said it didn't matter how you trained those guys at Arizona State, you're never going to beat us 
because you didn't have better players than us. Yeah, and that's one of one of those things too that I, I think a lot of people have a tendency forgetting as well is is as the strength coach in a collegiate setting, it's like sometimes you're given a raw deal, like in terms of the the talent <laughs> pool, right? Like it, sometimes you get studs, other times yeah. you get fucking but, bums. But again, who's that on? Right, it's on the coaches who bring those kids in. Exactly. And that's where sometimes, again, the strength coach we talk about is generally going to be a scapegoat a lot of times. Our kids aren't strong enough. Our kids not fast enough. Our kids can't jump high enough. I didn't recruit them. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the KPIs of what we do, well, you gave me a kid who benches 185 and plays offensive line. He's not benching 450 when he leaves. If he benches 300, we hit the jackpot. Absolutely. So... He gets to 300 in five years, and the truth is he's still what he – that's what he should have been as a freshman. He should have started at that. So yeah. I didn't bring him in. You know, it, it's just like everything else. When we, we get infatuated with numbers and, and we get we, – we lose the fact of the numbers, if they don't correlate, you need to reevaluate the judgment. And I always go back to – and this is where coaches who are anti-Olympic lists with athletes – and, the, and I think there's some merit to this when the athlete's technique is not competent. It's corrosive. And we see a lot of corrosive Olympic lifts in particular because the majority of the kids are doing cleans. We see a lot of that posted. Oh, so-and-so clean 350. So-and-so clean 400. But when you look at it, is it really a clean? But then more importantly, when you see the 17-inch vertical jump, then you know it's <laughs> irrelevant because right. I do believe that there should be a relevancy to vertical jump and clean max. Mm -hmm. If you are an efficient Olympic lifter, it's shown. Efficient Olympic lifters have outrageous vertical jumps. So if they have outrageous vertical jumps, then why are my athletes who allegedly have the same number of a 1RM but because their technique is corrosive, mm -hmm. there's no transferable trait. So that's where when you hear these high-level strength coaches, a lot of them who I respect because there's more weight, you know, there's, again, it's about the athlete that say there, there's no reason to do Olympic lift. There's other ways you can get similar responses. And I, and I believe that. Uh, I'm a proponent of Olympic lifts if they're done competently. Yep. Because I think, I, I don't look at it from... And early on I did because I didn't know anybody. This is what I was taught. Olympic lifts developed explosiveness. Mm -hmm. Bench and squats were absolute strength. The sport of Olympic weightlifting gave us the explosive lifts. The sport of powerlifting gave us the strength lifts. Uh, bodybuilding gave us the accessory program, mm -hmm. tier system. But what I learned, again, be, because I was a powerlifter in the 90s and I was a subscriber to Powerlifting USA, I got exposed to Louis Simmons earlier than the crowd. If you were a power lifter in college strength and conditioning, yep. and a lot of us were, you pretty much subscribed to Powerlifting USA, and Louis started writing articles mm -hmm. in the early 90s. So now, what do you start to learn? You learn of the dynamic effort method. What, is that, what does that tell you? It's telling you about rate of force development. It's talking about sub-maximal loads for, for a high level of intended speed, which comes to the term that I learned from an article that was in the Milo magazine written by a legendary strength coach, Steve Plisk, 
where he would talk about maximum concentric acceleration, which ties into Fred Hatfield's compensatory acceleration training, which ties into Louis taking what Dave Williams was doing at Liberty with the chains and the bands into accommodating resistance, what really catapults compensatory acceleration training to its finest because it helps keep acceleration longer and the deceleration lower amount of percentage of the range of motion because of the way the levers change and the load increases as the, as the bar gets to lockout. So again, you see all these principles coming to mind and, and you have to figure out uh, conceptually what's the best way to train the athletes. And that's where I think too much gets lost in discussion. But at the end of the day, when you talk to anybody, it, it all comes back down to what we first talked about, technique. Absolutely. None of this works without competent technique. And I use the word competent because I do a lot of mantra stuff because it's hard to memorize facts. And, and my whole exercise technique mantra is corrosive, competent, or comp corrosive, competent, or competition level technique. And... In your sport, the powerlifting, you mm -hmm. need competition level technique to succeed. Mm -hmm. But your athletes need competent level technique because they need competitive technique in their sport. Mm -hmm. So you got to, it's give and take. But the one thing you don't want is corrosiveness. Mm -mm. Corrosiveness will lead to injury and corrosiveness leads to waste of time and corrosiveness leads to fictitious, fictitional uh, realizations of how strong someone is. So... For me, I want competent lifters who are competitive athletes. In your world, you want competitive lifters who have competency in athletic event, events. Yep. Like you want to have a good vert. You want to have a good long jump. You want to be able to throw an overhead shot for a maximal distance because that can tie into dynamic effort, that your dynamic mm -hmm. effort training is working. So that's where I think people need to, again, just decipher your basics and come up with a formulated plan. Does that mean that that plan's etched in stone and you're never gonna decipher it 30 years later? I, I tell people all the time, the sustainability of the tier system is the template. That template's exercise rotation doesn't change. But what happens within each of those tiers, there's a lot of cool stuff that has been evolved because of just, again, living, learning, having discussions, with coaches and it all comes into like, uh, again, face-to-face -face stuff. We, you know, if we were gonna talk X's and O's, I'd go into my other garage, I'd wheel out my four by eight grease board mm -hmm. and we'd go hit the grease board. I'm a huge uh, deciphering of programming on grease board because I learned that from football coaches. How do you break down plays? You get on a grease board. You gotta see it. Yeah, so for me, like if I, like right now, I think it's still on the grease board is uh, when Brian was setting up his plan for the Shaw Classic, he's handling all of his programming. He sent me a bunch of notes mm -hmm. to to decipher, and I drew out all his notes on on the board, and then I put my notes in a different color. Yep. And then I took a picture of it, and, and then sent it. Said, "Okay, here here's what I got. I'm typing it all up." Mm -hmm. And then I gave him his my notes, and then he runs with the program, and that's. And, and right now, I think he's in a good spot. He's going to be a it's going to be a good send off for him. So, it's, but again, that's my you know my role was was a little bit greater for the world's strongest man. Mm -hmm. My role is very I mean it's really 
except for that time. Like I've sent, he sent me some videos and asked, but for the most part, uh, I've, I, I back off. That's my role right now. Mm-hmm. My role is I'm here if he needs me. If he doesn't need me, I'm cool. I know where I stand. I know where Brian and I are going to be tight, regardless if I was on. You know, I didn't. You know, I, I got I got a very fortunate phone call two years ago. Uh, I was able to work with her for two World Strongest Men. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the outcomes weren't what we had hoped, but mm-hmm. when you look at it now, as he's <clears> one <throat> competition away from calling it. You look at what he accomplished in those two, and you can hold your head high. I mean, we all want to be on the podium. We all want to win. You know, I always say it's Brian's story to talk about. I think he's mentioned it. You know, last year we came in fourth. He came in fourth. I, you know, you always say we, right? <laughs> uh, he came in fourth. We're close to the podium. But if you knew his personal circumstances heading in, for him to come in fourth was just tremendous at 40 years old. Yeah. This year, better circumstances going in, but you're 41. Tremendous amount of pressure put mm-hmm. on yourself. First of all, you know it's your last one. Second of all, the events are set up that are high quality events for you to possibly get that fit. Mm-hmm. The biggest pressure was getting 15 finals in a row. And what you found was you're 41 years. At the end of the day, you're 41 years old. As much right. as we all want to beat the birth certificate. Me and you were talking about, like, my, I have a lot of decisions I have to make with my personal health and how I want to train in the future. But in Brian's case, you know, at 41, he came in seventh place. His worst finish ever, but that's pretty good that you was top seven in the world at 41, and that's the worst place you've ever came in. Mm-hmm. And when you study the dynamics of World's Strongest Man, it's a very tough situation for older athletes because older athletes are more cerebral because mm-hmm. they, they're more concerned about things. When you're a businessman, a husband, and a father... He's got a lot of shit going on. There's a lot of cool things that are going on in your life that start to resonate as you put this pressure on yourself. But... And it's out there now, and I have the full tape, but what the toughest thing that happened to, to, to us, and I say us because I was there to help him guide through it. Our goal was to win. We didn't win. You'd say the word fail because we failed to achieve our objective, but then you have to start to go right back into, okay, what was the positives of it? Mm-hmm. The positives of your seventh place finish in a world's strongest man of 41 years of old. You went to 15 consecutive finals. No one's ever going to do that. You're tied with Big Z for 10 podiums. No one's going to match that. You know, you're a four-time winner, second overall, tied with John Pauls and and uh, Magnus mm-hmm. and Big Z, the four of you. But now you have to look at it from the age, how age comes into play. He's one of the bigger athletes. That's just the way it is. His body allows him to be monstrous. So... We have a really, he's had a really good training plan. It was really, really good. A lot of things, I learned my role better. He learned his role better. That's the big. Whole, the That's whole big. thing changed. It was so much, so much more good conversation. We learned so much from the year before. I thought Brian was too coachable the year before. Didn't give me enough uh, intel mm-hmm. because he was being a good, good 
a good soldier, so to speak. Sure. Uh, we learned that, yeah, man, we're not doing that this year. Yeah. I, I gave him, he was, he was the, he was the leader. I was the caboose. Mm-hmm. But what, what happens in World's Strongest Man, and people don't understand, it's two competitions in one. It's two major competitions in four days. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that go on that no one knows that just can really, yeah, the, the, no, no disrespect to the guys who won it. Mitch Hooper dominated. Uh, Novikov, awesome. Tom Stoltman is on the come up. I mean, he was chasing three in a row. He went 1-1-2. One, one, the last four years, he's gone 2-1-1-2 two, one, one, two or something like that. I mean, I'm talking to his coach. They're disappointed they came in second. But like five years ago, they would have been ecstatic. Yeah, no shit. You know, but again, that's that's what happens when the, the stakes change. But what what people don't understand is, and, and Luke Stahl, I give him a lot of credit because I think he's going to be 40 this year. And he came in eighth. And, and, but you see different dynamics. So here's Luke Stalton, one of the older guys. You got Mark Felix first, right? He's my he's, age. Yeah. Yep. He's, just, he's just, I don't want to say content, but his goal is just to be there. Absolutely. You know, and he still came in fourth in his group and got hurt. So he's top 20 in the world. He's not mm-hmm. top 30. You came in top 30, you came in fourth in your group hurt. So now you're top 20. And his grip is terrifying. Yeah. So <laughs> he's always going to be in that. But then you got Luke Stoltman who... He makes the he he makes the finals, and I'm not saying that's his goal, but he gets on. He's like he wins his stone off, and you can just see the exuberation that mm-hmm. I'm one of the top ten strongest men in the world. Absolutely. Where Brian wins the stone off, and it's this relief of God, I made it through. Mm-hmm. Now I got to go win. Yeah. He's not coming to be top ten strongest men in the world. He's coming to win. Yeah. So totally different guys in similar age bracket. With two totally different success standards, mm-hmm. and that's not to say that Luke's is wrong. It's just that Brian is one of the greatest of all time because of that mindset. But when you look at the whole strategy of the events, and it just shows you how one event can really knock you off. So last year, Brian was the first time Brian was in the stone off. We got extremely fortunate that Bobby had a t- tacky situation. Yeah. So Brian had Brian was third in the heat. Hooper won. Bobby was second. So Brian had to do the first stone. Third place goes first. First time goes over. Bobby has a tacky situation. Can't get it over. It's over. So we really make win the stone off without having to do the stone off. Brian goes to the finals. Better events for him in the finals. He knew the events in the prelims were not good for him. He didn't like the deadlift ladder. It was an uphill battle coming through. But in the end... You know, it's funny because you come in third in your group, so that means you're top 12, mm-hmm. no, top 15, but then you come in fourth in the finals. It's events. Mm-hmm. So the events for the finals and the prelims for Brian in this event were so much better conducive for him. Um, but what you find is how strategy and certain things can affect a whole game plan. So Brian won, he won two events in his group and tied for one so he won three events in his group and came in second because on the conan's wheel he didn't brace himself with his air right Mm -hmm. and had a poor showing that he lost so many points that he came in second by a half a point if he wins his event and doesn't have to do the stone off 
I don't, I don't think he comes in seventh place. I think he has a legitimate shot to win and podium. Mm -hmm. I'll believe that in my heart. Because here's what happens. So now he's in the stone-off. He's in the stone-off against Ron O'Hanla, who's an excellent stone lifter. Brian knows this. So now, what does Brian have to do? Now here's the pressure, right? I got to go against Rhino. I can't make a mistake. I have to go to this place that I have to get into this mindset of nothing's going to stop me mm -hmm. from getting to my 15th consecutive final. So I have to remember correctly, but it's a, it's a six stone load. And when you get to the heaviest load, which I believe was 420, right? Yeah, something like that. 420 mm -hmm. stone, or was it 440? No, two, I don't know what, it was something heavy. Yeah. Something that I can't, I can't <laughs> even pick up the ones in my front yard. I can't even pick up this 100 pound uh, sand uh, D ball I have right here. So when you get to that last stone, now it's you, you go, I go for the whole mm -hmm. deal. So they went six reps That's so at that 400 crazy. whatever stone, and Brian wins, and you hear Brian afterwards, and he came and talked to us. He goes, I had to go in that dark place, mm -hmm. and there was, and if you watch it, he's getting better every More stone. Efficient. So yeah. he's like, I could have gone all day, I was not losing. I'm ready. But what did that do to him? It's taxing. Gone. Like, it's taxing. So now you're so wired. Got to eat. Mm -hmm. Now you're trying to get sleep. Oh, God. And there was a couple of things I don't want to discuss that kind of affected that. Mm -hmm. But but here's the thing that people don't understand. Like, I really believe, too, if he had two days to recover before finals, it might have been different. Yeah. But here's what people have to understand. That day between... The prelims and the finals is supposed to be a rest day, but re but here's here's your rest day. They woke the athletes up at eight thirty to go to the boneyard, which is the testing area for the final events, and you cannot miss it. So a guy like Brian, who is very def definitive when he goes there, like Brian will be the last one to leave the boneyard. He will mm -hmm. view all events. He'll watch everybody else. When everybody else leaves, that's when he goes to work. That's exhausting. So there's exhaustion, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have that. Now, again, remember, Brian even, forget about that he's 41. There's a reason why Brian is who he is and why everybody respects him. He's always been meticulous. Remember, he wanted to be a strength coach. Mm -hmm. So he's got a coaching mind. He's going to be very deliberate in how things look. And remember, the older you are, the more your plan Those details affects. matter. He's, you know, you got your mental coach. You're talking, we're planning out the day. Okay. Event one's single fingers. Event two's deadlift. Event three, shield carry. Brian's one of the best in the world at single fingers. Let's go set the mark. Mm -hmm. Let's get good points. Deadlift. His deadlift's in a great place. We had to rebuild it the year before. It's in a great place right now. And then the shield carry, it's a carry. You got to fight your ass off. That's it. Okay. What happens? He meet with a mental coach. They got their plan. Has a bad night's sleep. Wakes up, it's raining, we're going to do shield carry first. God, fuck. And, and because of the way it was set up, he's the first one to go out. Yeah, of course. And didn't go well. So now you're, on, now you're on an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. Deadlift, we were, we, were, we were anticipating a bigger number would take the win, but he pulled, he comes in second with mm -hmm. a few other guys. So he split some points. Well, now the finger fingers come. Now you can start seeing fatigue starting to creep. 
Uh, Brian's never missed five single fingers. He misses the he he had a faster time than Tom Stoltman at four, couldn't get the fifth. Just so ten. now you know it's starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. Then we go into day two, and it's the same thing. He's got he's got gear four, can't put the hammer to gear five. And when you look at it, and you look at how the consistency of gear four was, the and again, again, sleep, recovery, you take that into factor, but everybody has that. The difference is they're all 26 to 28. Yeah, exactly. He's 41. You know, let's count the reps of low. You know, there's so much, like when you talk about overall tonnages, like, yeah. like Eddie Cohen always talks about, you only got so many max efforts in your life, mm-hmm. saving for the platform. Absolutely. Well, Brian Shaw has been to a lot of platforms. And so then when you look at, so when you're doing your debrief, and I'm typing up my debrief for him, you, you have to bring that up to him. As much as you hate to say it, like, hey, man, you're 41. Fucking mileage. And even, I think Just he mileage. even had to come to a little bit of the realization of that also. That's not an excuse. Like, you don't go in there... Well, I'm 41. I came in seventh. That's great. No, I came to win. Mm-hmm. I could have won this event. You know, circumstances change, but you know that's that's being a baby. We came yeah. in seventh. Right. Uh, another great experience for me. Like I'll never not continue to thank him and Kerry for inviting me to be a part of the team because I love strongman. I mean, I tried it once. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I have very little natural farm boy strength like these guys. But I, lo- I just love it. And being in it and watching these guys live to just mm-hmm. see what they're the human. Bo- like I said, you watch Strongman live. I've never been to the CrossFit Games live. I'd like to go just to see it live because I think the perspective of watching it on TV versus live would change. Just like my first NFL game live on a sideline. I've been to live games in the stands. But my first one live on the sidelines as a coach really showed me this is different than college. Oh, yeah. It's different. Yeah. Like, in a lot of ways. So, that 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 um, experience will never... Man, I can't replace it. Like, it, it was like going to the Super Bowl. Like, mm. if you're a strength guy and you love this stuff, coaching an athlete in World's Strongest Man had a lot of relatability to those pictures up there of being on, on a team going to the Super Bowl. Mm. And those are and those are things. And then the relationships I've made with some of the athletes, in a good way, is cool because now I'm in that space. Uh, I like it. I like being around it. Like I'm, you know, I'm working the Shaw Classic again this year. I'm going to speak at the Expo, and I, and hopefully that Brian continues to invite me back mm. to to work the show because I just love being around it, and I just and I'm into it, and I and I live vicariously through guys like that because in my world. I want to be that. Like, yeah. I, I just think it's just really intriguing what what we've been told in training that you can't do. Like, you know, exercise to well, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then you watch the crossfitters do it, or the strong man do it, mm-hmm. or the strong woman do it, and you're like, yeah. See, at the end of the day, there's this is what I tell people. There's one thing that no science, no data will ever be able to mimic is the emotional quotient of an athlete and the will and the grit. Like, uh, people who believe in analytics don't believe in emotion. You're right, right. And, and that's a big misnomer in athletics. Right. If you do stocks and you do mathematics, you're right. But when you're dealing with human emotion, 
that matters because fourth and one to win the Super Bowl in a perfectly day is different than fourth and one to win the Super Bowl if it's raining and the field's not is natural grass. So your analytics is telling you fourth and one, we gotta do this, this, and this. Does it tell you what to do if the damn environment's changed? Mm-hmm. That's that you better learn that data. Let's get that data up. Fourth and one when it's sunny versus fourth and one and the and the and my oh and, and that not only is the field muddy, my center's got a broken hand. Exactly. Yeah. So there I mean there's you know, like you know, you compete in a lot of different strength sports, man. The strength the strength game, man, it, it'll humble you or it'll excite you and it'll push you to do things you never thought you could do. Well, the reason I, I loved Strongman initially is because it's it's it brings you back to the whole idea of like superheroes. 100%. Right? You're seeing these people move these cars and these trees and these <laughs> rocks and you're like, "Holy shit." And I mean, I'm I'm sure <laughs> Brian knows this, but he himself has probably brought more people into strongman and just being now like just being understanding of what strongman is based on the the shit he's done online and with his businesses and all of that like and again i think brian was the first i think brian was the first of the strongman who understood there's some something could be had of this if it's done correctly and in how he yeah. how he figured out to because again there, there are strong men now who don't have to work a second job because of Brian Shaw. Absolutely. And, and Brian, you know, Brian learned a lot about sponsorships, the mm-hmm. good and the bad, to a point where he was like, I'm just going to create my own businesses because... It's way easier. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to... These sponsorships are good until they're not good. Right. And, you know, he, he's, his, his companies are based... They're home-based. They're on his property. Mm. He packages stuff with his wife. His kids help him package stuff. It's very hands-on, even with this event. Like the what he, the fact that he's come in second, first, second, second at his own event, with the amount of work he's doing to get, like he's probably, I don't know this, but you see a little bit he throws out on on YouTube. But I know he's got a couple of events that are still being built. Mm-hmm. Like it's crunch time. Yeah, it's it's less than a month out. Yeah. You don't think him and his wife are sweating right yeah. now? <laughs> you know, and, and and you know the amount of personal finances that are invested in the and the spot. You you know you've been to these things. You've seen it. So he he I I said this. I said you should you should invoice every strongman who has a YouTube channel that's making money because if it wasn't for you, <laughs> they wouldn't even well, understand. Well, it. It, it, it's funny because I mentioned this in the last time we chatted, but it, it still holds true. Brian was the first athlete that i know that had this membership site where it was so simple it was a forum i think it was like five dollars a month you could be a member of it and you could communicate with brian and and like put in videos of your training and shit and i remember i joined this was like the coolest thing ever i joined i posted up a video of like a deadlift or something and like brian immediately responded and i was like this is so different than anything else because at the time the people weren't touchable yeah, sure you could i connect. think he does still i think at least once a week he goes live yeah sure elite club yeah and, and that's where and, but again his members now they get i think they get certain if they come to the shaw classic i think they get certain vip absolutely opportunities and again like like how smart how smart is brian so and I, again i don't want to speak for him but i think this is how it came about 
So Brian went to the Mr. Olympia Expo this year with his first time. He had done a booth mm-hmm. with his products. That's huge. And I think that experience made him think about doing an expo this year at the Shaw. And, but then he got smart because he's listening to what the people want, especially, I guess, the online people, right? Absolutely. Where, okay, what are we going to do during dead time? We're going to bring grip training and arm wrestling this year. Beautiful. He's into that stuff. He's a unbelievable he's grip. Unbelievable. Like I, I, I would be shocked if next year he's not in the grip competitions. Yeah. He might not compete in strongman, but I could see him doing the grip competition. Well, I've seen those videos with those blobs that he has. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Oh, uh, hell, it's funny because there's. I couldn't a, pick those fuckers up with two hands. Yeah, there's a used gym equipment company that I go to uh, here in Hickory. And one day I was walking in there and they had these blobs. And mm-hmm. I sent a picture to. Brian, he goes, can they ship them? And, he, <laughs> and sure enough, man, that day you get on the phone with the dudes and they're sending them out. And that's that's awesome. You know, he just bought a nice uh, York roundhead and said he drove all the way to Pennsylvania for it that he just put in the gym. He's oh, got shit. Ri- uh, coming from like one pound to a hundred roundheads. Wow. And then a couple, I think there was some circus ones in there too. But yeah, he you know he's a historian. And the one thing about Brian too that I think. If you're if you're a prospective strong man, strong woman, and your goals are to be elite, the one thing I think you can learn from Brian is you have to repay the investment. And what mm-hmm. do I mean is I understand it's hard and I understand finances are tough. When Brian started getting good, he found ways to make sure he had what he needed to train to be good. Mm-hmm. If you go into Brian's training hall, I don't know if there's an event that's been in World's Strongest Man that he doesn't have in his training hall, mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. And if he doesn't, he's going to figure out how to get it or get it built. Yep. And that's an investment. And that's why he is who he is, because he's not going to say, well, I've never been able to train on this or that. Oh, no, I'm going to figure out how to get it done. And he does. Like, it's, an, it's, it's impressive. And that's why, like, his training hall is like a historic training hall for any strongman. It's just, it, it almost be like, hey man, I'm going to give tours of my training hall because of all the equipment that I've come to come to uh, gravitate to in my, you know, f- what now, 15 years of world, well, 16 years of world strongest man plus another what, two or three to get there, almost a 20 year career in strongman, which is unheard of. That's it's At wild. That level, yeah. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize is that all the things that he does, each individual one is a full-time job. The business, yes. full-time job. The YouTube, full-time job. Coming from someone that <clears throat> it literally was the podcast, full-time job. Coming from somebody that had a full-time job of doing those things, I don't know how the fuck he managed to do anything else. It's, a, it's unbelievable. Well, that he's going to meetings. Doing and he's successful at all of it, too. Well, and again, what is that, though, right? Got to have the right life partner. Yeah, oh, for so, sure. I mean, you know, him and his wife are super cool. Like, mm-hmm. And they understand each other. And, and she she understands the space, so that helps. Yeah. You know, they're very, you know, you can tell the kids are all into it. Like, mm-hmm. if you watch some of the videos, man, he's not forcing those kids to mimic being strong men. No. I mean, no. They're out there playing with themselves. Yeah, right. Making up like they're in events. Mm-hmm. They even know how to start the clock. Athlete ready. You're like, 
These guys aren't. That's not made up. That's them just having fun. And even in the videos when they're eating, like the kids yeah. aren't being forced to eat no, the man, same they just shit. Go after, man. They're, they're, and again, it's just you know, it's, but it shows, man. And that's what you, you could only ask, you can only ask for that, right? Mm. And it's, but that's that's anything. I think that's just gravitating towards just good people and and just try to find ways to support and share ideas. Like to me. When I look at it now, like what's my best traits for strong men? Mm-hmm. It's the ancillary stuff. Like I'm not versed. Beginners and novices is different. Yeah. yeah. But at that level, I'm not versed enough in event training mm-hmm. to be the lead coach. That's what me and Brian had determined. But like ancillary work, prep work. Pre-activity prep stuff, all yeah. the little stuff you hate to do that I'm going to force you to do because that's the stuff you're missing. And that's one of the things like when Brian was having the hamstring issues, we were fortunate we had enough time. But last year was a total rebuild of not, we could say his deadlift, but it was really a confidence issue with the hamstring. Mm-hmm. And like any injury, it's time. Like, you know, I, I, I have had an ACL a long time ago, so the the rehab has really changed. But people forget. Like, everybody's like, oh, if you got ACL, that's seven or eight months. Yeah, but the truth is, depending on the graph you have, it still takes the body 12 months for it to heal. And and everybody talks about, oh, you can come back in seven, eight months. But then you hear everybody on sports radio and everybody say the thing, well, really, it's really the next year where you're really going to see him come back. So what's it, what are they telling you? It's a 12-month process. Yeah. So... Let, let's to be let's us understand that it, it takes a while to to rebuild like you know we rebuilt the deadlift and we got to a point where he got so good technically at the deadlift that if you looked at it from a biomechanical standpoint it I won't nothing's flawless but it looked really biomechanical advantageous mm-hmm. but because of his body type we overcorrected yeah, right so we had to come back to what I say, the shawl position. Mm-hmm. All right. Because he's a, you know, he's almost a sumo-based conventional deadlifter. And he was the first person to really yeah, kind of adopt that wider stance. Pritchett took it. And now uh, the one the one strong woman, man, I, her name's right on the tip of my tongue. She won the Arnold. Uh, she's doing that similar. She's going to pull the 700 mm-hmm. with a similar style to that. But so for that, so now you got to find your shawl position. Mm-hmm. Like, Remember, this is your progress of how you get into each rep. You got to get into this position before you start pulling, because if you don't, you're going to have some mechanical disadvantages. And that just that was just a learning process. Like it got to a point where I was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe that this monster can get in that position." But then we, as we were listening, I was like, "That's not his. That's not his confident, mm-hmm. natural pulling position." So I saw, you know, so it's the shawl position. Right. And it's like anything else. You just got to, but see, and that's the disappointing thing about being a virtual coach. Would you have found that out later if you're there on the floor with them every day rather than watching video? Mm-hmm. So those, those are things that, again, so for me, I think I have value in strongman as a strength coach. Absolutely. But like anything else, you have position coaches, you need an event coach. Yeah, and and I think in strongman specifically, like obviously different than powerlifting, but they 
it's definitely more of an athletic base. Like you need to be able yeah. to move. And that's where, again, as a strength and conditioning coach, I can program the types of agility drills I think you need to be in condition, mm-hmm. the good footwork. But again, and the other thing, like, and I told this to Dave when I saw him when we were the last time I'd seen you guys. Dave told me this a long time ago with powerlifting too. Regard, and, and I think you can get away with it a little. And I'm not saying you can't be a good coach and, and, and not... You know, uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know the entire background of Tom and Luke Stoltman's coach, mm-hmm. but he does a phenomenal job. And they comes back podiums. to winning, right? Yeah, comes back won, to winning. Know. But you know, then you got Big Laws, who was a high-level strongman training some of these guys. Now that's a guy that I can really, I'd be really interested to talk with him mm-hmm. because he seems like he's got some, he's got his stuff together. Oh yeah. But um, you know, like you just look at these things, and it's. It's just a, it's an interesting sport. But like with powerlifting, like what Dave would say, and, and I believe this, I think you can get away with it more as a powerlifter, but like even Dave said, and I believe this to be true, it's hard to coach an 800 or 900, 1,000 pound squatter if you haven't understood what that's like to get there. Mm-hmm. I saw that 100% when I first started training Brian because I'm using math. And, and what I learned in Strongman, when it comes to competition time, Throw math out the window. Yeah, you can use math and percentage-based stuff in the in the prep to it, but once competition is with the loads they're using, math is out the window. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, man, this just. But you have to look at the math, but you can't use the math if that makes sense. But what Dave told me is, and he, and, he, and it made sense to me. It's hard to coach an eight hundred pound squatter if you if you're not an eight hundred pound squatter. Right, and that's where, and I believe that. Mm-hmm. And I, like what I would be writing down, all right, Brian's got to do 675 for 8 to 10 today on the deadlift. I'm like, man, that's a lot of weight. And I'm like, 67% for this guy. Right. Like, it's not a lot of weight. For me, it's it's PR by 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. But for him, it's walking up, should be a walk in the park. And so there's a lot of those concepts that always resonate in my head mm-hmm. when I'm dealing with individuals, even like yourself, with the amount of loads that you've accomplished in your powerlifting career. Gear or no gear, it doesn't matter. It's still load on your back. Like mm-hmm. You put that weight in your hand. You put that weight on your back. Uh, there's something to be said about that. Um, so that, and again, maybe that's me overthinking stuff. But again, I still know there's certain things that I've learned working in team sports mm-hmm. that can carry over to individual sports. But it's so much different pressure coaching individuals. Like it's nerve-wracking your on pins and needles Mm -hmm. and in strength sports what people don't understand like I have to give them my perspective in team sports really after training Brian for two years strength training is easy they miss a lift who gives a shit right I mean because at the end of the day that guy's Cam Newton scoring five touchdowns whether he bench pressed 90 pound dumbbells or 20 pound dumbbells yeah but if Brian misses a 400 pound log we lose four points Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I'm saying like so there's pressure. You gotta these. You gotta hit these numbers, man. And in the training aspect of that, leading up to the event in and of itself, like a, a shitty training day at that level, I'm sure has a lot of consequences down the road too. But here's like, the, okay. So I yes and no because here's what I've learned too is these guys are so used to when you train at that type of load, you're gonna have a bad day. Sure. But how fast they can shake it off. And say and figure out like, uh, and then, then like, I, I want to say I was following Martin Lisi's two years ago, mm-hmm. 
say he's it was sporadic, but it was this, this was what I knew. Okay, this is just different humans with the loads they're handling. Like one one week he's showing his deadlift and he missed like eight hundred. Yeah. And the next week he does it for five. I was gonna say yeah. I think I remember seeing that shit just and, being and blown I saw that with Brian like. Brian have a bad day. Goes, oh, I think something's off. I think I just need to eat a cheesecake. Like, just hey, like, and I'm like, rip. well, I'm glad you think eating a cheesecake because I'm nervous and I'm, <laughs> I'm all screwed up as the coach. <laughs> I'll talk to him, you know, this and I'll just eat a cheesecake tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, sounds good. You know, that's what you think you need. I wish I could say that. I, I'm, I'm like, I've eaten plenty of cheesecakes I'm, I'm like, and I haven't done that. Yeah, I'm like, man, <laughs> I, I wish you didn't miss those rep, that rep. But, yeah. So there's a lot. But, but I learned a lot, too, from that from training, Brian, that if I went back to team sports, in particular a football or a wrestling mm-hmm. or, or even thrower for that matter, I think there's some things that you can take from strongman, like in the event training. And I, and I was one of the first to do sh- implement strongman type of movements in college sports in the 90s. It was myself, Mark Phillippe at the time was America's world's strongest man, yep. competing in world's strongest man when he was at UNLV and Chris Doyle when he had left he was at Utah when I was at Boise State and then I replaced Chris at Utah when he went to Iowa we were mm-hmm. the three who were implementing I was doing it because I had no money in the budget though Chris was a training a strongman he was he was a, a good confident of Mark and then obviously Mark was one of the greatest power lifters in American strongman of all time mm-hmm. but we that was in the mid 90s we, we brought, I mean, I can honestly say that I wouldn't know what order, but that's why I say the three of us brought Absolutely. strongman training into, I mean, I spoke at, I think, the 1997 uh, coaches conference about, I spoke, we called it, I called it junkyard training about using river rocks and tractor tires and mm-hmm. strongman. And I think Mark spoke on legitimate implementing strongman event training into your your programming but that was again so it's like tire flips man man we were tire flipping in the 90s i i got video of a team tire competition at boise state in the snow mm-hmm. where we had like 2250 pound tires we broke the team up we broke the group up in the team and we had a tire flip competition at six in the morning so we would run down to the boise river when it was low tide and we'd we'd have the freshmen just pick up a stone and do reps and then pass the stone to the next guy and then mm-hmm. then they had to run back to campus with the stones so we could have the stones <laughs> in the weight room so there you know there's just like i said man there's just a lot of things that are out there that you can i don't believe you can train a sport with a sport like i don't think you can say hey we train olympic style weightlifting we base our whole programming in the weight room on olympic weightlifting and i don't think that's conducive to your football team mm-hmm. i don't think powerlifting training no. like I think that, and that's where, you know, the tier system in a, in a whole, we were all doing it, we just never spoke this way. You're just grabbing from these different, what I call strength disciplines. And now we're grabbing some of the metabolic types of things from the CrossFit game. Yep. And again, I'm talking about high level CrossFit. I'm not talking about local boxes where, mm-hmm. again, coaching's coaching. Like, I never thought I would talk about CrossFit the way I do. Because when it first came out, I thought poor coaching, the the high promotion of Rabdo, like really Rabdo the clown. Yeah, that shit. It was Krusty the clown, the Rabdo guy. Yeah, Rabdo clown. And then, um, and then the stuff with strongman. So, like when I look at things now, I see 
So the tier system was based off of the three disciplines of powerlifting, Olympic lifting, and bodybuilding. Now it's strongman mm-hmm. as well as CrossFit in some ways because of the way we do some of our metabolic medleys mm-hmm. within the tiers. And, and then again, obviously, the block zero stuff is all the gymnastic strength stuff and, and calisthenics. But that, that's where I think by being exposed to some of these things. And that's why, for me, like I said, I, I am intrigued to get to see a little bit more behind-the-scenes training of CrossFit type of work. And that's mm-hmm. where I might reach out to Rob Kearney, who's working with Matt Frazier now with a what they call hard work pays off at yeah. HWPO. Yeah. Mark, uh, Rob's doing a lot of programming. Uh, Rob and I work together with the Panthers. So that if I get up into that Massachusetts area, I'm going to try to sh- shoot over there and, and just learn yeah. a little bit more about the concepts of how he's writing programs for that particular athlete and see what there's any relevancy to sports performance or team performance. Well, it's funny because – uh, that's up in my neck of the woods there. Yeah. And uh, Rob was always in my weight class. Oh, we never man. competed against each other in shows, but it was always that like, oh, fuck, Rob signed up for this show. Let's find another one. <laughs> Let's find a different well, one. Well, Rob, we, 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 when he was with us at, uh, at the Panthers, he was an intern trainer, but we had, I had my yoke and my farmers, and he always wanted oh, He was training sure. all the time. Like, I didn't realize that. You know, he had told me he was powerlifting strong, man. You know, he's young. and mm. I mean, that was one of my first years in the league. And then you see years later, this guy's competing with the best of the world. That one blew my fucking mind. <laughs> it blew my mind, man. And it's – he. I don't think anybody worked harder than him. Like, I, I would no, see him a, yeah, there, training. I'd see him compete. There's some guys that have genetics. And, and, and he and – some of the numbers he's pushing tells me there's genetics. But when you look at his structure – there's a lot of grit there. Oh, yeah. A lot of grit. Because he's not much taller than me. No, he's, he's, he's got to be the shortest Easily. elite-level strongman out there. Easily. He's one of the lightest, but he's definitely the shortest. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I've seen anyone shorter than Rob. No. I And, and if you come to that area, you have to go to Lightning Fitness up there. Is that the spot? That's where Rob, you know, Rob trains. Matt Mills was a pro strongman as well. That's his gym. Okay. And it's... It's Candyland, man. I think it's 20,000 <laughs> 20, square feet plus another 15 or 20 in the back that he uses for that's MMA. What, yeah, that's what my spot, the fitness factor, I was just up there this week in Charlotte and I trained up there. I was talking to Eileen, the owner, and she just, the, the, the warehouse she's in, she just, with a roll-up garage door, she just took over another 20,000 square feet. So this gym's going to be about, I want to guess, 45,000 yeah. total. And, and I, she has a real cool concept because she has new pieces. Because, you know, obviously I'm like, I gotta buy some dynamic pieces for this new Yeah, product. right, right, but right, right. She does a really good job of, she's always on the bid sites. So oh. if you go to, the great thing about training at the fitness factory is it's almost a one stop shop. But the coolness is some of the equipment of where it comes from. Like when I would train there, you would think I was at four different gyms because. I could deadlift off a Coastal Carolina platform. Yeah, that's squat great. Squat off a North Carolina State platform. Deadlift off a Virginia wrestling platform. Oh, that's beautiful. Like they've got a, a pit shark, the NC State pit shark in mm-hmm. there. They got all different. So it's they got huge cable pull downs, like a, like almost look like they're ten or twelve feet high from 
of Virginia Tech basketball. Oh, no so, shit. So, like, it's one of those types of gyms where you just walk in there and it's like, but they, they bid on sites and they take what they want and That's then they awesome. resell the rest. And, yeah, tremendous factory it's you know it's a fact absolutely it's a warehouse gym that's you know monstrous and and i've been fortunate that was a good that was one of the best moves i made with the panthers was kind of like i was saying here about getting another gym membership was mm-hmm. after a while you just get stale yeah and the best thing i did at first i was just going to go to fitness factory on saturdays mm-hmm. and then i wound up just going all in for the full membership and training there pretty much exclusively my last few years with the panthers yeah, well, the, the cool thing is about Lightning, where Rob trains, is I've known Matt for years, the owner, and I remember when his first spot was 500 square feet. Like, he had nothing. Much bigger than, little yeah. bigger than this. I and think he, this is 450. And he just, just fucking put everything back into it, yeah. and it's now, like, the mecca of strength in the New England area. Like it's That's the, in Massachusetts, right? Uh, Connecticut. Yeah, so he's... So is, is Rob based out of Massachusetts right now, I think, like right around Springfield, I think he said. I believe so. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he, honestly, he's one of the hardest workers. Because every time I would, that would always be where we'd go for like a strongman Saturday, right? Gotcha. Like we would just roll to, to lightning and then kind of, you know, compete with everybody there. And those were everybody was going, everybody was training that was winning. So we are like, all right, fuck it. Now we have yeah. to go over there. I know at one time, I think Poundstone was his coach. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Poundstone, I mean, you know, he he won the Arnold. He he won some big shows. He he was still a policeman at that time, wasn't he? Yep. Which is wild. Yeah, most like Ronnie Coleman. How many years was he a policeman before we went four Olympias or something yeah. like that? Before he finally said, before finally the police said, yeah, you're taking too much time yeah. off. You got it. Well, there were those old videos I, of I him. I got the impression that based on some of the things, and I read his book. His book's kind of good. Uh, I thought he said somewhere where if they never fired him, he'd still be a policeman. Yeah. That, those old videos Mark, of him. Mark told him to walk away. Right. Those those old videos of him in the uniform oh, with the bulletproof vest, yeah. like squeezing into the fucking yeah. car. Like, it's unbelievable. Chicken and rice at the, and, at and the, popping like, the tomatoes yeah. out. <laughs> Eating chicken and rice during their, like, like their daily meals yeah. of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, that whole, it's... Top level competitors are just an animal of their own, but yeah, no, I think if uh, and to kind of bring it back to Brian Shaw and one of the things that I wanted to kind of mention or have you kind of talk about a little bit more is he is such a meticulous athlete, right? He is so detailed, driven, oriented, wants to like kind of really get a good understanding and control over the things that he can control. And to see him develop over the course of time and to have you work with him and kind of get the inside scoop of that, that's got to be exhausting in and of itself. Oh. I can't even fathom that. Like that level of like detail-oriented oh, yeah, yeah, nature. Notes, like, you, know, he's, you see him all the time in his videos. He's got his notes. He's got his book. He's, got he's his writing program. shit down. He'd print that stuff out. Like He'd always look at the notes and refer back and look, make his notes. And the thing that I would say too... And it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day because I have this same problem in my training now. And I saw it come up several times in my working with him and even when we were, when I was looking at what he was going to do for the Shaw. It's 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 an interesting problem that's hard to find solutions. And, and you as a conjugate type of lifter yourself, 
when we talk about rotation of exercises mm -hmm. and variation, I think you can overdo that. I completely agree. And I think that's completely one of the agree. things like when, when we were building out certain plans for Brian, he had done so many different accessory exercises with success. Mm -hmm. It was like, how do you rotate these all in at what times? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good problem to have, but it's also a bad problem to have because you got to stick to something to see it respond. Yeah, you don't know what, you know what really works. Like, like that's one thing I had learned when we came up with the max effort rotation models mm -hmm. at Arizona State when we when we were implementing uh, this. And this is how we created our version of five three one before the, it, it was elicited out mm -hmm. two thousand three two thousand four. And this is where you learn you can't train a sport with a sport and high-level lifters are high-level lifters for a reason and college football players are college football players who lift weights for a reason. Yep. So we had got caught up, and this is, again, you go through phases of maturation. We had got caught up in our cycling of doing one-week max effort rotations. What we found right off the bat was our, our athletes weren't, profe not professional enough, but our athletes weren't, yeah, let's just say, professional enough or experienced enough to change movements that fast for one RMs. Right. So we were like, okay, let's add an introductory week. Mm -hmm. So we, we added three. So we reverse engineered. Mm -hmm. So we added threes. And that helped a little bit. But remember, we were so used to working on three-week and four-week waves because yep. of the traditional periodization models we looked at. But then we also, okay, okay, but now we need a little volume. And then we added five. Stick a five in there. Yeah. So when we, did the five, when we came up with the 531, and I think we published that article in Elite FDS in 2004. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's even archived anymore, but that, that article was published in Elite FDS in 2004, Max Effort Training for the Front 7. And that's how we developed the three-week 5-3-1 raid for our Max Effort rotations. For our, And we used it specifically for Front 7. So Front 7 for us was offensive, interior, offensive line, interior defensive line, defensive end, linebackers, tight ends, fullbacks. Mm -hmm. And that elicited tremendous responses. Because the first... And we tracked each week. So we went max fives, max three. So we knew percentages. We, we, we got, and then at the end, when we did our back squat max, we had all the percent. So if you, you know, if you back squat is this, your safety bar squat was this, your, because that helped us for the next year because now we had starting loads. Right. And, you know, it was a, it was a really good way to, understand and reaffirm what I believed about training sports with sports, knowing the clientele you have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people, I always say this, and it sounds kind of corny and it's hard to understand for some people, but I always thought why I had success using the West Side methodology in a three-day-a-week program that is... I knew what concepts I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I knew what I wanted out of it, yeah. number one. But I also knew, and again, I think it helped that I was able to visit. 
Now, my relationship with Dave Tate and Jim Wendler, but Dave in particular, was able to visit and mm -hmm. see a little bit of what goes on. Not enough to know, say I was an expert on what they do there, but enough to see how it was handled. But what I always tell people is when you're deciphering information, whether it's mine, yours, the notes you take out of clinic, an article you've read is, I always say there's a reason why when you read a book or you read an article, they're double spaced. Because mm -hmm. you gotta read between the lines. Yeah. Too many people don't read between the lines, especially with Louis stuff. Mm -hmm. They take it for gospel, yep. they put it into effect, and they wanna know why it doesn't work. And, and again, I've always said this, my one, I don't wanna say hypocritical, but there was a couple of things that Louis would, like early on, these are 90s and even early 2000s, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Or like with box squat technique, your box squat should look just like your regular squat without a box, but it can't if you're teaching rolling back and rolling off. Right. Like to this day, I still don't understand what relax the hip flexor is. Plus, as you know, as a college strength coach, you can't relax the hip flexor. It always has to be loaded in ridges because you got to limit. You have to be able to go from that static position to mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is with that technique too is you're you're now doing a, what I call double compression of the spine. You're already axial loading the spine with the bar in the back. Yeah, from the top and now the bottom. Now you're, you're sitting on a box, which is loading it from the bottom up, but now I'm gonna roll back into and compress the spine even more. Mm -hmm. And then you're gonna roll back off with momentum. I never taught that technique. One, I didn't understand it. Two, I didn't use it myself. Mm -hmm. I always taught cloud technique. Can I get to the box with good, that's why I'll always have pretty good eccentric control. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't overspeed eccentric because I believe in I gotta build eccentric strength. And that's why like for me, and that comes from my college experience with HIT training, the quality of the rep. Yep. So I'm always gonna be controlled, especially now with my back and knees. I'm always gonna be controlled up. I'll lose I know I'm gonna lose concentric speed. Yep. But I'm okay because that's me. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm going to coach. But I wanted to be as close as to what it was supposed to be. Mm. If I took the box away, how close does my, my squat look to a real squat? And had success with that technique. But that's one. And then the other was you can't do max effort type work after dynamic. But yet, what did Chuck Vogelpool turn dynamic effort day into when they go off the script? Or even 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 into the case of when Louie started implementing board presses, when they understood what the bench shirt did and what it didn't. Exactly. But when did they implement the heavy board pressing work after the dynamic effort bench? Mm -hmm. And again, it might have been heavy sets of fives. It's still a max five. Oh, for sure. So, so there's certain things you got to read read between the lines. Yeah. And it, and and it and it. And it and that's where concurrent sequencing works anyway. Mm -hmm. Just like you're gonna do max effort work, you're gonna do dynamic work twice a week, and then everything else is high volume repetition method. So what's the difference if I do, all right, I'm gonna do my dynamic effort bench, and I'm gonna go heavy fives on the board press for my tricep work, okay? Then I'm gonna to go to my, set, my accessories. Yep. So I think, again, 
you learn a lot, and and his and it's proven. Methods are proven, but you gotta you have, to, and that's why I said when we were talking about, don't regurgitate. See, that's my interpretation of the word. Mm -hmm. It might be different than yours, but at least I can elicit an interpretation because I studied the word. For sure. Don't say, oh, you can't do that house because it's that's not what was written. Mm. I know it was written. Also, saw I saw it in action, mm -hmm. and I trained it. I and trained it, that. But like I tell people, uh, I believe the tier system can be used for a lot. I think it can be used for beginning strongman. Mm -hmm. I think it can be used for beginning powerlifting. Uh, it could even be used for beginning weightlifting. You just do the Olympic lift first, and then you go down through your deal. But when it starts getting nitty gritty time, I'm probably going to use a Westlight template for a high level body a powerlifter. And I'm not training a weightlifter on the tier system if they're chance to be a national level lifter. Yeah. And I'm not, and a strong man definitely ain't training on a tier system when it's go time like Brian Shaw. Right. Because he's getting the way that specificity. Built to get the general understanding of things, I think the template fits mm -hmm. all. I think, and again, I, I laugh now when I say this. You, there's no doubt in my mind that Tiersen would be the ideal template for CrossFitters. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yep. So, again, it's just, it's, and that's why I call it, it's an athletic-based training system. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to just, it's, you know, people don't like plug and paste, but it's plug and paste. It's pick your favorite exercises, pick your favorite cycles, and figure out if that's the best cycles and exercises for that team. Yeah. And a lot of it's going to be the same. I mean, because again, people, I don't want to be sports specific. You need to be explosive. Here's your exercise pool. Mm. You need to be strong. Here's your exercise pool. You need to protect certain areas of the body. Okay, well, 90% of all sports, you're going to train the posterior shoulder, the knee, the ankle, and the hip. So realistically, all sports could look the same mm -hmm. with a couple of entries here and there. Does does a women athlete have to squat three times a week bilateral? No. Nor no, no does any athlete. I did early on because I didn't know. Not that I didn't know anybody. That was my experience. Yeah, right. My lineman squatted three times a week. Front squat Monday, back squat Wednesday, and then we did a pause squat on Friday that turned into a dynamic effort squat mm -hmm. on Friday. You know, something there like that. Go. So, but, you know, those, those are things. Again, that's, that's what I'm saying with these coaches, man. Like, don't just, like, this isn't gospel. Like, mm -hmm. the tier system isn't gospel. Louis Simmons isn't gospel. West Side for Skinny Bastards at Joe DeFranco isn't gospel. You know, like, the Black Book of Secrets from Christian Thibodeau isn't gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Zatsky Orsi isn't gospel. But there's some good principles that you can mix and match and create your own gospel, so mm -hmm. to speak. Like, that's something that you believe in enough that your athletes believe in it. That's the only gospel that matters. It's not... Oh, I got to do it this way because these hotshot strength coaches do it. No, I'm going to do it this way because I've studied the mo I've studied the models. I know the clientele and I know the environment I'm in. This is the best way for me to get it done. So now it's my job for my athletes to believe in it as much as I do. And if the athlete sees in your face that you believe in it, and they start to see the results they want, not only in the weight room but in the sport and their feel healthy and stronger and more powerful, you and you might you might have came up with, hey, I only lift them once a week. Well, more power to you then. Yeah. But that's the challenge is 
everybody, oh, I read this book, I read that book. Okay, what are you, how are you putting it to practice? Mm-hmm. That's why I say, like, the best professional development you can do, and I'm a big believer in reading. I mean, I introduced, like, you can even like Mark Watts. I was the first strength coach to really push Lenciani stuff yeah. outside of books. I remember Dave Tate was, we, Dave Tate did a 30-minute, back then you did phone interviews, mm-hmm. and he was talking about, and I brought up Lenciani back then. So you want to you want to read books that aren't just X's and O's, but the the number one way for a practitioner to be better is practice your, your, your trade, and that's go out and coach. Take your staff out there. Coach up, you know, you never know. You you have the, an older like for me. I have an older perspective on how to teach an exercise. One of my young interns may give, throw a cue out there that I'm like, "Oh man, I never thought of that part. That that could help this." Mm-hmm. So it's a that's the ultimate professional development is staff exercise technique reviews and how do you critique? What do you think's a good cue? What is you know? And I I mean Nick Winkleman wrote a book on you know the cueing stuff and. But again, a lot of times it's like common sense, okay? And, I don't, and I'm not disrespecting Nick's work. I mean, that's a the textbook he wrote is, my God. But it's, okay, here's the cue. All right, well, what, what verbiage should we say so the kid understands it? Mm-hmm. Like I always used to tell people about applying force to the floor and sprinting. I'm like, crack the concrete. Yeah. Crack the concrete. That's yeah. all, all I want you to do. Just explode. I want you to be a snare drum, not a bass drum. I got to hear pop, 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 pop. If I hear boom, 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 you might as well stop because it ain't going to be good time. Right. Absolutely. And, and I, I would and I would do that. There was times where I would close, especially at Boise State because we had a really good fast turf. But I remember times at Boise State, I would close my eyes and just listen. Mm-hmm. And I would know. Why are you too heavy footed? You got to be, you got to, you got to Spend less time off the ground. You got, and then, then you start watching. Why is that? Is his, is his ankle, toe, and heel up, right? Where is he striking? Well, okay, this kid's flat-footed. That's obvious, right? Like, okay, we got to, you know, and these are little things, again, like we talked about. Those are little things you can pick. But like you were talking about in your experiences now, going through some of the McGill assessment program, you'd probably be a better uh, visual person of picking up things than I would because of the experience of working more through a medical type of yeah. practitioner than me just looking at it from a strength coach perspective. Well, it's interesting with that because I think the world now, there is a lot of coaches that are kind of, you know, blurring the lines between the medical <laughs> and the, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of shit and like, I have nothing but respect for the clinical world. Like I'm, I'm never going to be like, I'm going to diagnose this. I am not a doctor. I don't want to get fucking sued. Like that'd be the worst. But I think it's, it's important to be able to just put yourself in situations where you can see things from other lenses and like being able to just like pop those lenses in and out is like, okay, this isn't working. How can I look at this situation? Like the fact that you, the first thing I thought of before you even said it, is the audible cue of the feet. And like for me, I need to like visualize in my own head. So sometimes I'll, if I'm hearing something or doing like, if I was in that situation, I would actually close my eyes and listen and to be able to kind of determine where, you know, where that, you know, change can come from. It's like kinesthetics, right? Like I always tell people when we were talking about trying versus training, Mm -hmm. people, oh, I'm implementing this. Well, do you understand it? Well, I tried it. Well, I train it. Right. I've trained 300 pounds of band tension with 334 bar weight for a 650 squatter. 
Mm-hmm. It's not fun. No, it's, it's terrible. That was when Dave helped me squat 650. Yeah, also last time I, I ever like, do circle max. Dave, what are you doing to me? Yeah. And that's when we had to choke the bands around like 120-pound dumbbells because <laughs> we didn't have a monolith. Yeah. But, you know, it's like it's like those types of things, like the kinesthetics of knowing as a, as a strength athlete the differences of doing a free squat versus a chain squat mm-hmm. versus a banded squat. Those are not the same. No. Uh, the, the accommodating resistance jump from doing chains to bands is a much different situation because you cannot not focus the entire rep of a band. Mm-hmm. The band is pulling you in an opposite direction you want to go. The chain is not. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, you have to understand that concept before you get on... If you don't come out of the rack, especially with most of us, if we're training in college, we're not using monoliths. So the amount of uh, core and oblique stability and bracing that you have to understand to get that bar out of the rack, right then and there, sets the whole game for you. Yep. We all talk about the athletic position and starting stance is the key to success. Forget about that. Getting the bar properly placed in the J-hooks before you get out with a band is <laughs> right. the most important part yeah. of that. You see some real sketchy shit. You oh, put somebody yeah. under a band that doesn't well, know what Well, we learned doing. that too. Like, we were going off of basic protocols of what Louie had mentioned based off of professional squatters. And what we found out was, yeah, a 500-pound-plus squatter in powerlifting can use uh, a strong band, but we can't. We have to no. use light bands in college. No. And that's why I really stop doing banded work unless you were in what we called our block four or elite cycle so your fourth year in the program Mm -hmm. because i didn't think the guys i think we we jumped the gun on bands as a progression because we jumped the gun right and our guys weren't prepared for it because the numbers didn't elicit that you know and the other thing i learned is the percentages you need to mimic what louis had recommended for the powerlifters is much lower like if he was saying 40 to 50% with a strong band is going to give you 0.7, well, you need to be about 35 with a college guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, just a massive difference. Yeah, so you got to be you got to be aware of those things. And again, that's being a practitioner. Mm-hmm. That's taking notes. That's not that's reading between the lines, knowing that just like with the weightlifting stuff or or track and field. They're talking about the best of the best in their countries. Mm-hmm. And we can't, and again, a lot of those weightlifting magazines that were transcribed are coming from not only countries that have school of sport, but countries who have supplement programs that aren't creatine. Yeah, you're right. You know, and again, that yeah. all has to be taken into consideration, just like when we're talking about the box squat. It's a lot easier to do that type of box squat with groove briefs in a loose suit. Mm-hmm. Just like I know, I wear performance shorts and core shorts Absolutely. to protect my hips and, and my mm-hmm. back. It's a lot different doing a box squat with that than just wearing a typical neoprene uh, undergarment. Right. So there's, and just like uh, when I train with like a, a triple ply brief mm-hmm. versus a single ply. Mm-hmm. So that, that all comes in, but you know, you're a, you're a multi-ply lifter. Uh, 
There's a diff- there's a reason why training Rawls one way and training oh, Gears well, another. It's funny that you mentioned, I mean, especially the West Side stuff and and I didn't really get a super firm grasp of the why behind a lot of Louis stuff until I threw myself in gear and I'm like of course max effort makes sense <laughs> because you need 90 plus percent yeah. in a shirt. You need like that sport doesn't exist yeah. sub no. crazy numbers, right? Like you, especially with speed stuff and in box squats, it's like, that's how you squat in briefs. Yep. Like that's it. Like that's why oh, that was developed. You know what I mean? So I think people see that and they, they kind of forget the, the principles behind it. And it, and I appreciate what you're saying about all these, like the programs and all your experience, it's understanding what the principles are and then being able to take those and make it your own for what you need, yeah, just, you know? It's just grab and go. Like again, the tier system is what it is. And then the principle, then the training cycle principles are based off of something else. Right. Like, and that's why like when I laugh when people go, hey, can you use 531 with the tier system? Yeah. Five three one's a training cycle. Mm-hmm. Tier system is an exercise choice and rotation. Hey, can you do triphasic with a tier system? Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Triphasic is a training cycle. The tier system is based off exercise selection and rotation. Yep, it's not hard. Easy enough. You know, I mean, it just you know, I, I, you know, even like with VBT, I'm still going to use percentages because I, I have a different perspective on how to use. Velocity-based training. That could be its own conversation. Yeah, um, (laughs) because I think there's a, it's a, I think it's a nice mix. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I definitely think, uh, looking back at the past, you know, if you had this, then we had tendos at every rack at Arizona State. If there's one, the one, the one, and I don't, don't my Brian, Brian, man, might know, but. The one, the one thing I would like to really know was where did the so we all got introduced to tendos and dynamic effort speed and using velocity based training for dynamic effort. Absolutely. My question is because this is where I think it really is the game changer that I missed out on early in my career with some of the cool stuff we were doing. Who was the first one that realized? Well, why aren't we using velocity base for the heavy stuff? Mm-hmm. That's where I wanted. Like, mm-hmm. that's who gets credit for that, right? Because when I look at that now, I'm like, mm. we were doing some cool cluster testing stuff. I even brought this up to Matt Ray. Imagine if we would have had tendos and to see how well they were able to maintain high level cluster work with high volume. Yeah. Well, it's even, it's even like, like here's an example. I've yet to use it because I've been out of the team setting now after I've figured out velocity-based training at the with max effort types of stuff. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, one of the concepts that people use is we're going to train to a load and if you get under point something, it's over. Right. But my thing is, if I have, like say, like, hey, we're going to do eight triples at 79%. Or would that be eight doubles? I have to look at the chart. Uh, I use 79 as 80, so it would be, all right, we're going to do 10 doubles. Mm-hmm. We'll make 79, 80, so it's in that high, so that's high volume prilipin. Yep. High volume, total total volume, low rep choice. So the goal is we're going to do 10 doubles, do a two-minute rest, or two-minute round, so every two minutes, so 0, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. Mm-hmm. We're going to track velocity. Some, some, some components, some coaches' stands are, okay, if you go under 
point, I don't know, we'll just say point four. Yeah. If you go under point four, you're done. But see, that's not the concept that I would use velocity-based training for. Mm -hmm. What I need to know is, because again, team sports is based off metabolic conditioning. Team sports are based off multiple high-explosive bouts for a long period, over an extended period of time with multiple rest recovery ratios in between. What I want to know is, what's more important to me is, not, not the set he is, every set after, how much does he drop off or how much do they drop off? Because in football, they may do a 15-play drive. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if he hits five and bounces off, well, so that means I got to get him out after now five? Now he's done, yeah. So to me, I think we're missing people. People are not. We're we're losing what 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 smart hard. See, they're stupid hard and smart hard. They used mm-hmm. to be hard, train harder, not smarter. No, why can't you train smart hard? Right. Right. Like you can, and I and I learned that with different types of concepts of how we used to beat people up in college, where it was called it. When I got to the pros, it's smart hard versus stupid hard in the college. Like I can do freshman Fridays and wear you out. I'm not doing that in the pros. Right. I can run you to death in college. I'm not doing that to you, pros. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to use death. I shouldn't use that term. No, for sure. I retract that. But um, but what I've learned is, you know, everybody's like, oh, you got to train smarter, not harder. But the problem is we're not training hard enough and kids are getting hurt in competition mm-hmm. because we're not making them. Here's a word that people don't want to talk about anymore, strain. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see people strain. But grit. Well, but here's my thing is. When, when an offensive lineman engages with a defensive lineman, what are they doing? Straining. Mm-hmm. You know how I know? I don't know it at the NFL level, but I know it at the major college level. I lived it. Yeah. It's a strain. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, who has the capability to apply more force than the other where one displaces the other's uh, line of scrimmage win? But so for me, it's I need to know all 10 sets. I need to know if he fails and can't get 10. Right. Because then I know that I've got to condition him to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And we had a tremendous amount of success with 10 sets of 10 in that 80 to 88 range or 79 to 88 range at Arizona State in particular where this is where we started calling them off the script, where we would build off the script performance testing in the workouts where, hey, after five, and this again, no tendo, after five sets of this dude's killing it, we're going off the script. Sure. And we'd have guys hit two rep max at their old max after 10 sets of squats. Mm-hmm. So that's where, I don't want to say disappointed, but that's where I think I, again, when you hear about it now, it's like, God, why didn't you think of that? Like, yeah, it just never was conceptually thought of to, hey, let's put the tendo on when we're lifting heavy. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, God, you know how much great stuff <laughs> I would have known? Yeah. Because we did... We did a metabolic cluster for football. I think it was one of the best tests ever created. Was we, we, we stopped doing it with cleans because it was stupid with cleans. But mm-hmm. with bench and squat, we did uh, 15 play drives for football. It was one rep every 35 seconds. So right about play mm-hmm. time, rest time, based off of what, again, data we collected. Sure. Technology does it now. We All strength coaches are data collectors. Mm-hmm. Some of it was crude and rudimentary. So... You would take this, you would, we'd give you a five-second call, you'd rack the weight, the beak would go, you do your squat, you rack it, you wait for the next five-second call. And what we saw was, and we started that at about 85 or 88%, because my goal was, I always felt like if you can condition an athlete 
to maintain 85% of their one RMs or their max effort. Like, because let's look at it from this point. Play one is 100%. Yes. After that, it's a fight. Yeah. How, for sure. how, every, after that, every, every play is a, is an intensity of effort of 100%. Mm-hmm. But as a physical capabilities, you're always losing gas. Yes. So the goal to me, my, my hypothetical model is 85 to 85. If I can maintain this for the whole game, we're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. I have no empirical data to make that any truth. But what we saw, and I think a lot of it was neural. A lot of it was we conditioned this way. And a lot of it they adapted. But what we learned, and I got data, that this was not atypical. Where we would take kids off the script and by reps 13, 14, and 15, they were PR. And back in those days, we did a traditional one rep max PR day. It wasn't, you, we set it up like powerlifting meets, flights, yeah. the whole nine. Yeah. So we had dudes, so what do you think, the, like that's why I say the most transferable trait we develop in the weight room is confidence. Mm. So here you are an offensive lineman who squatted 500 for one in March, and now rep 13, 14, and 15, you just went, 500, 505, You don't think your confidence in the fourth quarter is going to be high? Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, that's the sell. So, like, I, I just, uh, at a conference I was just at, my fullback from Louisville was, was there, and we were talking about the cluster set, and he had done a 575 back squat in March, and he had a 585 squat at rep 19 of a cluster. Holy shit. And, and again, my goal as a strength coach, as I got older, well, it was always be very smart, but I never wanted them to miss a rep in testing. Mm-hmm. They would fail other ways. You know, you have to learn to fail, but I always wanted them to leave on a good note because I didn't want something really good that happened in the weight room and just say, hey, let's move up 10 pounds and fail. And then you leave it as a disappointment when you set a 20-pound PR. Right. So, but it was 585 when I'm smooth. And I'm like, man, this would be incredible if he squatted 600 or rep 20. So, I made the call. It didn't go what we'd hoped. But I don't regret the decision. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he does either. Because it would have been one of the most impressive things. Yeah, yeah, that's why. That would have been a story. Doing 585 at 19 was one thing. But... To do 600 at 20 would have been a great story to tell. So those are those are things like you look at now and say, golly, man, I would have loved to have had this. And I was just talking to the guy who owned and developed the Rep 1 velocity base because that's that's what I use. And he has one thing that a lot of people don't. Uh, he had, You can pick different metrics in the app, but the one that he has is he has range of motion in millimeters mm-hmm. and peak height percentage. So Ooh. what it tells you is, is um, like for example, let's just say uh, I, I'll use easy numbers. Your range of motion in squats a thousand millimeters. Mm-hmm. Your peak velocity was one point three four. Your peak velocity percentage was seventy eight percent. So what it's telling you is that seven hundred and eighty millimeters of that was when you hit your highest percentage. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it from a com- and this was on a band day. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it from accommodating resistance, that's what you want. You want that peak height percentage to be as close to a hundred, or, or you know what I'm saying, as close to the top as you can, because that means you stayed in acceleration longer. Mm-hmm. Where if I was just doing that with straight weight, that number might be sixty, right? Because I've got to slow down. If it was longer with bands, runway. it might be slower. So 
And what I liked was out of the 25 reps I did, all of my numbers were between 76 and 79%. Mm-hmm. So now the goal is, okay, if I go a little heavier, I got to, can I get them into the 80s? Mm-hmm. So those are concepts that I think are cool. Like to me, I'm like, that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it just makes you think, right? Like as a coach in a position, and again, people listening to this are all over the place. They're athletes, they're coaches, they're, you know, whatever. But I think what's really important is that thought process you had of trusting your gut to like, we're well, going to try that, this and thing. And that's the end of the day, right? That's what you have to, like I always say, man, if, if, it, if, if you trust your gut and heart and, and you always remember the best interest of the athlete, mm. it's a, that's why I say it's emotional. Yeah. Emotion. Yeah. If a guy's riding the wave, he's riding the wave. If he's not, you cut him off. Like mm-hmm. I always told, uh, Dirk Cutter always used to laugh my, when I worked with at Arizona State and, and Boise when, during Max Day. I go, look, uh, if I tell you what to do, I believe it in my heart, and I'm very rarely wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would, t- like my kids never knew what they lifted on competition days or in the weight room, because they knew. I always told them, if I put it on the bar, I believe in my heart you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. So they never, like my oldest never knew. My oldest doesn't know a max he did in any event. Oh shit! He just knew that if I put it on the bar, I believe in my up. heart that he was going to get it. Yeah, and he got it. I mean, and, I, and that's why I say, like, I, I tell people all the time, you're done. Come on, coach, give me 20. You're done. Come on, coach, give me 20. All right, miss. He looks Told at it. me. Now you're going to fucking listen? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I didn't really want to curse, but. No, nah, man, yeah, it's all like, good. I'm like. It's all good. Like, okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll shut up. I, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> yeah. Because now you're upset you missed and you could have left on a win. Yeah. Exactly. Believe me, you're gonna lose enough in sport. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get beat one on one. You're gonna lose a game. Let, let's let's build some. Let's build the juice in here. Yeah, no doubt. You know, like I always think, like in max effort day or max testing for sports, always leave one in the tank. I go with the Eddie Cohn principle. You, you know the guy can do twenty more. Mm-hmm. Let him let him feel good. That mm-hmm. Coach said I had twenty more. Good because yeah. next eight weeks you'll do the twenty more, and I'll say you had twenty more. Yep. <laughs> Just got to build it up. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, again, man, train, like I said, training team sports is so much easier yeah. than training the strength <laughs> sport athlete. Like, golly, just really, like, I'm like, God, it's easy. Like, yeah, super easy compared to what I just went through. Oh, I believe years. it, man. I believe it. But, yeah, we've been going for hour 45. So, I think what we'll do, we'll wrap plus it up the, now. Plus three, the two and a half, two. three hours before <laughs> this. Jeez. Um, so yeah, last words of yours, anything you got in the pipe, anything you got going on? What, are, what's, what's yeah, up? I mean, again, I'm like, we talked about, man, the ultimate goal for me at this point in time is to share. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to use the word mentorship. I mean, I'm, I, I just want people to absorb, modify, apply and stimulate the thought. Like what I'm really doing is, Hey man, I'm not telling you to take what I'm saying and like, Oh, this guy, the, yep. What I want you to do is take what I'm saying and build your own processes. Mm-hmm. What, I, what, I'm, what I want you to do is take what I'm saying and, okay, what does this, how can I, can I apply any of this to my situation? Or more importantly, decipher your situation. Mm-hmm. Start to read between your own lines. I mean, that's what I've had to do with the tier system. I want it to be sustainable. I want it to be replicable. 
rep, like replicable, whatever that word is. <laughs> Replicate. Replicate, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be able to do that with, but just, but sustainability is built on a solid base. Mm-hmm. So the base is the template. What, like I told you earlier, what, with what's created within each tier of the template, that's, that's the, what can I do between the lines to mm-hmm. enhance this program? So that it continues to have relevancy in sport, you know, it's it's a, it's an athletic-based training system, and that's how I promote it. And you know, and again, I I I was very fortunate that I had people that believed in me. But the truth is, it was built because the women's basketball coach at Boise State said she was tired of training old football programs. Yeah, and I was like, okay, well, my job is to I'm the women's basketball strength coach, and she's the head coach. I gotta. Figure something out. Collaborate. So, uh, it, it was one of those things that came to fruition, and and I and don't be you know. And I would think too is, don't be afraid to break the code. Like when I wrote that, and based on how it was written, man, I took a beating by Olympic weightlifters. Oh yeah. And, yeah or yeah, weightlifting yeah. strength coaches, the way the orders were set up. So don't be afraid to be innovative. The one thing you'll learn is again, look at strongmen, look at CrossFit. The human body, Bloody Morris says, is like plastable. It's plastic. It's mobile. Mm-hmm. It's moldable almost. It's like fluid. And what are, what are those two sports really proven in our world of strength? The body will adapt. Mm-hmm. Now, the elite athletes can take it to another level. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the average athlete can get better. The the poor athlete gonna have to keep an eye on. And that's called bell curve. Mm-hmm. So that that other end of the bell curve, like you got your elite end of the bell curve and then your non-elites, those are the ones that now become, generally they're going to get washed out of sport. Mm-hmm. Or if they're on the team in a different, a different setting, like a walk-on for various reasons, they want to be part of the team, you might have to adapt your programming to them mm-hmm. rather than them being able to adapt to your programming. Right. And again... So take, don't be afraid to be a risk taker if, if it's a thought out process. Uh, don't be afraid to say your opinions if you believe it to be true and you've seen these things occur in your space. Don't just make up random things. Right. Or don't say, well, I read this. Well, if you, if you read it and you didn't uh, absorb, modify, apply, uh, um, a mantra I've, I've utilized from Dave Tate, like everybody goes, I always tell uh, Dave, uh, it was a Swiss article. He wrote a Swiss recap in the early 2000s. And he wrote, and one of the subtitles was Absorb, Modify, Apply. Mm-hmm. To this day, man, that's Dave Tate's mantra. And it's the easiest, most applicable mantra to what a coach can do. Mm-hmm. You absorb the information, modify it to your capabilities, apply it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, throw it out. Reassess. You know it doesn't work. Yep. So th- those are things I think are the big takeaways for me you know i just continue to like you you know man i'm all over the place traveling i have my own clinic tomorrow in raleigh yep and then i don't i travel the next uh, mid-august i travel to the shaw classic where i'll be believe i'm refing and i speak at the expo on sunday at 10 i thought it was 11 and then i fly right from there back to vegas for nsca tactical then that when's that? That's August twenty that? first. Hot damn! And then, then I'm going to Italy for two weeks. First vacation for real with my wife. She's been overseas 
multiple times without me with my sister-in-law or my son. I'm taking my spot because of coaching. But now, <laughs> now it's your I'm turn. Not, I'm actually excited to go. I'm not a necessarily a huge vacation person, but she is and she deserves it. Mm-hmm. Then I've got a couple of speaking engagements. Uh, October, I'm going up to Scott Caulfield at Norwich. Awesome. Is having the NSCA Vermont, New Hampshire State Clinic. Have to stop up there. Yeah, that's August, October 28th, I think. Oh, beautiful. And then December, I'm going out to a clinic in Iowa to speak. Keynote, two keynote presentations for them. Mm-hmm. Then I think that wraps up. Wraps up the year? Yeah, without traveling to yeah. local... But I think from a major, major events, and then like we talked about, I have a, to make some huge decisions with my health on surgeries, whether it's rotator cuff and knee replacement. Gonna be the bionic man. Or I'm kind of leaning towards just doing one. If it's one, it's probably going to be the knee because I enjoy my walks and I mobility. I big. need to walk. Yeah. Like, yeah, and the shoulder, like we talked about it, I'm not looking to bench press the world. If I do competitions ever again, it's deadlift only anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I got one. So that's going to be. I'm leaning away right now. I just want to iron out some things because again, man, I I love this stuff. Like I mean, you right. see, I mean this. I mean it's a pretty cool home gym and. I love training, man. That's all I know. Like, what's my, you know, my, what's my job? Strength and conditioning coach, sports performance coach. What's your hobby? Lifting. What else do you do? Nothing. <laughs> don't want to do nothing. Like, yeah. My wife will get pissed off because, like, on days when I don't do nothing, I just sit in the house binging on Netflix and stuff. And she goes, don't you want to do nothing? I go, no. But she loves But, see, she's the opposite. That's, I think, why she she gets bored. Out of, and I don't blame her. Yeah. But for me, I'm cool. Like, I just go in the gym, man, and continue to work and figure mm-hmm. out things out like the last three years my programming is dialed in because of all the cool stuff i've had to learn to train around injuries yep that's why i said i think there's no doubt in my mind for strength athletes my huge asset to them would be the small stuff putting together these cool little packages i call them protective packages or my pre like my pre-activity i can build you out a pre-activity preparation plan that could be somebody's workout. Mm-hmm. That could be a general pop workout. Oh, for sure. So those are the things that I, and again, I think those are things that I need to launch. Like you talk about product development and things mm-hmm. like that. I've been I've been holding off on so many stuff, and it's just my own fault. Like, but now I think it's time to, as I reevaluate everything I'm going on and what I what I think the plan of attack is. I want to enjoy the rest of the summer. Go to Italy, reassess. Get, pick my surgery, which I think it's going to be the knee. Not the, I don't think I'm. I think I'm going to buy. I'm going to talk to my orthopedic one more time about the shoulder. But like you know, we've talked. Most people feel like if I'm not, if I understand what my limitation is, mm-hmm. I can train around the shoulder. Yeah, for sure. You and again, you you're the type of guy that just needs a little pressure. Yeah. You know. And, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not tripping. I just and like and like we talked about. Am I? Can I put the work into rehab? Yeah, man, I've, I've rehabbed many a time. Mm-hmm. I've done numerous knee surgeries. But that's two major surgeries. Yeah. At my age and at my competitive thought processes are, I just need to be able to be capable to do things and understand what my limitations would be and just accept it. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing is be accepting it 
and it'd be different if I was 10 years older. Right. Being no brain, I wouldn't do either. <laughs> I just I just go into pretty much circuit training and shit. Yeah. But I'm still fairly active and fairly young for my age, so we'll see. I mean, again, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. But you all will know because you know everything's shown on social. That's media it, and and there. please, you'll be on again. Don't you worry about nothing. Yeah, I'm not but tripping. all right, well, I appreciate it, Sam. I, thanks a lot for the drive coming out. I'm, hey, man, I'm I, glad you got to see the home front. And I'm glad that you next time willing. we got to train though. <laughs> well, probably do like an Instagram live or something. Oh, that's a good idea. But yeah, no, I appreciate you letting me just invade your entire afternoon and yeah, evening. <laughs> Like I said, man, I don't do anything else. So like yeah. when someone says, hey, we want to come and visit the facility, I'm like, that's perfect for me. Love it, man. Because it's a combination of enjoyment and work. That's huge. Yeah. No, well, again, I appreciate it. And guys, thanks for very much for listening to this. And uh, I'll put all the show notes underneath of pretty much everything we talked about and where you can uh, contact Big House himself in case you have any sort of uh, questions, DM, comments, Instagram concerns. DM, if you can believe that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much, and we'll see you in the next one. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com.